Good morning. I'm Pastor Sean, and I'm the associate pastor here at Placerville Church of the Nazarene. As you can see, I have my face mask on. Thank you, Governor. We're now wearing them. However, thanks to the fact that everybody who is here during our recording time is a good 20 feet away from me, I believe it's safe enough for me to take this off and make it a little easier to understand me while we, while we uh, go through our, ser- our service this morning. So uh, I'm going to do that. All right. Will you pray with me before we get started? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you for how you take care of us, Lord. And as we open your word today, will you open our hearts and our minds? May you speak to us, Lord. Father, I pray that you will prepare us for what you have for us, Lord. And and I pray that you will take what my words are and just fill them with your Holy Spirit. May I be just a vessel for what you have for us today, Lord. And, And all of this, we want you to have the glory in it. We want your will done in our hearts. We want your will done in our lives. And we thank you for what you are going to do for us today. In your holy name, we pray. Amen. All right. So today we're going to be looking at a a passage in Matthew. We're going to be looking in the 10th chapter. And this is a passage that Jesus has been talking with his disciples, and he's been sort of preparing them for what is going to come. And uh, up until this point in chapter 10, because we're going to be starting in verse 24, the disciples are probably not enjoying what they're hearing. Uh, because he's talking about persecution. He's talking about persecution that is going to be coming. It's going to be brought upon them because of them following Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at a passage today where we go from the warning of persecution to Jesus' response or his encouragement for our response to that persecution. So, if you will turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, we're going to be in the 10th chapter, and we're going to be reading Matthew 20, or Matthew 10, 24 through 39 this morning. Uh, so, if you'll follow along with me, verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is not, it is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign or hate those who of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what I and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who will kill, who would kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who could destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more you are, you are more va- you have more value than, than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have, 
I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemy will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The word of the Lord. All right. So Jesus has been telling his disciples, listen, guys, they're, they're coming. There's going to be persecution. There is going to be suffering that you are going to endure. And, and you need to be prepared for it. You need to be ready to um, accept it and to really thrive in it. Um, and he, the final part of the last pericope where he's warning them of the persecution is the part where he says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Here's, here's what he's trying to say here. He says, listen, guys, um, I'm, I'm the teacher. And Matthew calls Jesus the teacher several times through, through his gospel, and he calls the disciples students often. They're his students. They've been learning from him. They've been following him. They've been um, living the example he has set for them. And he says, listen, no disciple is greater than the teacher. No servant is greater than the master. Meaning, if the disciple will never surpass the teacher, the disciple will never be treated better than the teacher. The servant will never be better than the master. They'll never be treated better than the master. Really, the, the motivation and the, the, the desire a disciple should have should be to be like the teacher or the master, not to be better than them. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what that means because that's a challenging thing because um, we're all disciples of Christ and we know how Christ was treated. And sometimes I'm not treated like Christ is treated. And I think there's others out there who are not treated the way Christ was treated. We as people want comfort. We as people want a life that is not full of suffering or persecution. Jesus says, listen, guys, it's coming. And if you, if you are like me, it will follow you where you go. It will be part of your life. It will, it will really... It'll really hallmark your life. Um, and so this is a challenging bit of Scripture for me. It makes me look at my life. It makes me wonder, okay, not that I should walk into suffering and like seek it out, but am I, am I doing enough to be like my master, to, to set myself in a place where I'm speaking or I'm living the way Christ would want me to be living, the way he would have lived? Because if I do that, I promise you, and if you do that, I promise you, there is forces in the world around us that will come against you, will come against us. And we shouldn't shy away from it, but we should have courage and boldness when those things happen. And that's where he comes to. He follows the warning and, and, the, and the notion that, hey, listen, guys, your life is not going to be easier than my life. And this is a point in the, in the, the story of, of Jesus' life where the disciples don't know the full story. They don't know how it's going to end. Uh, they're not going through the, the, the ministry of Jesus knowing he's going to give his life at the end. They, they don't know the cross is coming. 
They don't know he's going to be flogged and he's going to be on the inch of, in, from, on the footstep of death before he goes to the cross. They don't know any of that. They just know that there's a group of people out there, the, the Pharisees, who do not like Jesus. And they, they, they persecute him. They, they talk bad about him, really. That's basically all they've endured so far. But they know that he's trying to tell them, listen, it's going to happen to you too. Because if you're speaking what I'm speaking, then it's going to put, it's going to bring people against you who disagree with you, who, who see honestly the same thing you see from a different angle or, or from their angle and they don't like the way you're presenting it. But he says, so have no fear of them. Verse 26, have no fear for, fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be known. This is a uh, reference to a, a verse in Numbers, Numbers 32, 23, where it says, be sure your sin will find you out. There is nothing in a person's life, no matter how hidden it is, no matter how secretive they think they've kept it, that will not at some point be revealed. It will either be revealed at some point in their life or, and, and, it, and always to the, to the, to the massive consequences of that sin. Normally, it, it results in, in massive destruction in a family or in a person's life because they've hidden some kind of a sin from, from their family or from the community or whatever it is. And when it does come out, it's so, so destructive. But if it doesn't, if somehow they make it to the end of their life and their sin has stayed secretive, in the judgment, it becomes known. All things will become known. And so Matthew is, is making a nod to that. Jesus is making a nod to that, that. Listen, guys, there is nothing out there that is secret that will not be made known. So have no fear. Have no fear because the people who stand in front of you who claim to be better than you, they got stuff in their, in their back closets that, that will be made known at some point. And you don't need to fear them because they have no control over the outcome of where you go for eternity. It says, fear no one who could just kill you, but fear the one who could destroy your soul, which is God. Meaning, don't fear your neighbors, don't fear um, the opposition to your faith, don't fear even those within your church who might potentially disagree with you. Don't fear them, because they're just people, just like you, and they might not like you, and they might not disagree with you, but in all, in, when it all boils down, it's only God and you. It's only God who determines whether or not you were right or wrong. But if you're living for Christ, then you can stand in confidence and not fear. You can stand in boldness. Jesus goes on and he builds off of that, that idea of being of a secret. And he says, what I have told you in the dark, what I've told you in secret, you may say in the light. What I have whispered to you, you should proclaim from the rooftops. Now, this is an important passage, and this is where we're going we're gonna to camp for a little while here. Because throughout Jesus' ministry, to his disciples, to people he healed, he's constantly performing miracles, or he's constantly teaching the disciples, and he'll give them bits of the truth. He'll, he'll heal someone. He'll heal a person of leprosy. And then he'll tell him, go, but don't tell anyone. Like, don't go tell people who healed you. 
He, he's keeping that secret. He wants, he doesn't want it well known yet who he truly is. However, he's told the disciples, he's whispered to them, he's, he's hinted to them, listen guys, I'm special. I'm the Messiah. I am the one. I mean, he's even outright told Peter and John, I mean, and, and he's telling them, listen, I am it. And he's, and he's constantly telling them, don't tell anyone. Because when he asks the disciples, and he says, listen, who do you say I am? Because they're talking and they're saying, you know, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say that you're Moses. And, and he goes, well, who do you say I am? And Peter, with, with boldness, says, you are the, you are the Christ. You are the, the Messiah. You are the, you are the one. And he tells Peter, he says, what, what you've said is not from you. Like, as in, that's not something you could have come up with on your own. That's from God. Now, keep it to yourself. He doesn't want people to know yet. He's going to want people to know. And that's what he's saying. Listen, there's going to be times in the future where I'm going to be gone and there's going to be persecution and all the things I've told you in secret, proclaim it from the rooftops. Tell the people. Tell who I really am. Tell the reason I came. Tell the reason I died on the cross. He doesn't say all that in like so many words right here, but he's trying to get it. He's planting the seeds for what will be in, in the time to come. And then he says, do not fear those who will kill your body, but fear the one. And we talked about that. That's don't fear people. Don't even fear death because God is the only one who determines eternity. And, and when we are faithful to him and we're faithful to the life that Jesus, the example of the life Jesus has set before us, and if we live our lives for Christ, if we live the way Christ would want us to live, then we have no fear of that. And he goes on to talk about sparrows, and he says, hey, listen, you can get two sparrows for a penny. It's translated as a penny. Really what it is is it's, it's a, I don't even remember the exact word in Greek, but it's a, it's basically a sixteenth of a denarii. So it's like a sixteenth of a day's wages is you can get two sparrows for it. And he says, listen, those sparrows won't fall and hit the ground without God knowing about it. He'll, he cares for the sparrows and he takes care of them. And, and there's other parts in the scripture where Jesus talks about how, um, the, the sparrows and the birds of the, of the field, they are provided for by God. He cares about them so much. And then he says, but he cares about you so much more. So much more. He knows every hair on your head. He knows the exact count. For some of us, that's a lot of hair. For others of us, not so much. But he still knows every single one of those hairs. I don't know every one of my hairs. And that number is decreasing, sadly, slowly. <laughs> Help me, Jesus, in the back of my head. But he knows and he cares. And he knows what you're going through. He knows the situation you find yourself in. He knows the sorrow. He knows the pain. He knows the suffering. He knows the persecution that will come, and he cares so much about you that he will make you get through it. He'll help you through it. And I think that's that's what Jesus is sort of trying to tell the disciples here. He's saying, listen, guys, this persecution is going to come, and it's going to look very different for, for each of them. Uh, if we follow the story of the disciples post the resurrection and the and the ascension, and they go off and they start, you know, building the church, really, each of the disciples encounter persecution in a very different format. 
I mean, so much that, you know, Peter is crucified in Rome, and he's crucified on a cross upside down. Uh, You know, John is left as an exile on an island. He knows all of the things that are going to happen to them, and he's saying, listen, it's going to come. And, And God isn't going to just magically lift you up over it so it doesn't affect you at all. He's saying, listen, he cares so much about you, he knows the number of the hairs on your head, and he will walk through it with you so you can make it. You can endure it. You can, like we talked about last week, you can get endurance which will develop character, which will be, which will develop the hope that we have in the glory of the Lord. All because of our faith in Christ. The, the last bit of, of the, of this section before he starts talking about family, is he says, if anyone acknowledges me in the presence of men, I will acknowledge them in the presence of the Father in heaven. But anyone who denies me before men, I will also deny them before God, the Father in heaven. Those are, those are big words. And I don't think, I don't necessarily think those are metaphorical. I don't think he's, he's using some, some, form of language here to make some other point. I think he's just straight up saying, listen, I'm going to vouch for you. I'm going to stand in the presence of God and say, this one's mine. This one's mine. They believe in me. They And, and God will know it. He'll know it and he'll say, yeah, he's yours. She's yours. But if we can't live a life that talks and acts and lives out the love of Christ in our daily lives here, then I, I think that it's really unfair of us to think that we get to have the grace that God just sort of gives you. Um, a uh, amazing theologian named, oh, his name's slipping my mind right now. I feel horrible about this. Bonhoeffer, his last name, that's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. There it is. He has an amazing book called The Price or, yeah, The Price of the cost of faith, or of discipleship, that's what it is. And it's this idea that grace is not cheap. And if you live a life where you think grace is cheap, where I don't have to make any real changes in my life, I sort of can just live as I live, and I can mess up and keep messing up, and it's not a big deal because I have the grace of Christ in my life, that is really cheap grace. You're not allowing, you're, you're taking advantage of Christ's grace in that. The, the true cost of, of what it means to be a Christian is to give everything to Christ, to have your faith in Him, which means your trust and your, and you put, you make your life look like Him. And, and that isn't easy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it should be just this simple walk in the park thing. That's the problem is most people think it is. And so then it becomes cheap grace. Grace costs Christ's life. Grace costs Christ's rejection by his own people. Grace cost every disciple besides John martyrdom. Grace cost martyrs throughout the early church who stood up for their faith and wouldn't back down even in the face of torture and death. And that's even today. I mean, if you, if you want to hear some stories, look up the, the book of the martyrs. And they, they talk about all the different martyrs throughout history. But then also they, there is modern stories. Look them up online. 
and they talk about the martyrs of today, Christians who live in, in places in the world where it is, they're taking their life in their hands when they say they're a Christian, and they don't back down. I don't want to be a person who lives in cheap grace. And I'll be honest, I am, I mean, I'm a pastor, and I'm more than happy to proclaim the grace of, of God to people. But I get, I get nervous, especially when someone I don't know. And I have to really work myself into it. I have to get courage to speak the truth sometimes. And it's not because I'm ashamed of the truth. It's just my personal, it's my own personal humanness thinking, do I know the right things to say here? Am I going to look like an idiot? Are they even going to listen to me? What, what's the, you know, all of that. And that's all the enemy trying to keep me from talking about God's love in their lives or that person's lives or their need to potentially go to church or, or whatever the situation entails. And I think that there's a lot of us that suffer from that Really, it's doubt. It's doubt that, that we have enough value to speak that kind of truth to people. And, and that's, I think, one of the enemy's greatest weapons against us is that self-doubt. That, and no one's going to care what we say about this. No one is going to like believe what we're saying. But I think that if we live a life the way that Christ intends us to live, that life sets the, sets the stage for us to be able to come in boldness and to speak the truth of God's love. Because we've already been speaking it through the way we've acted, through the way we've shown love to people. And God is not a God of fear but a God of courage, and, and He gives us the, the power and the courage to speak forth. He, he will literally give you the words to say. We just have to believe and trust that He will. Jesus continues, and He begins to talk about families here, but He starts by saying, I did not come, uh, do you think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but the sword. This verse is, this is a touchy verse because a lot of people um, uh, will interpret this literally, that God, Jesus came to bring, bring the sword. And I guarantee you the disciples took it that way because they're expecting the Messiah to be this like hero redeemer who's going to come in and just take out Rome and set them all free with the sword. But that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, he's talking about the sword, which is the word of God. He's talking about this message of, of love. It's, and it's a message that is very different than the way the world has believed and understood God. And so it's going to cut like a sword. Uh, the Bible talks about the word of the Lord being a two-edged sword, strong enough to, or sharp enough to cut the very marrow of a, the bone and marrow. And it's not a literal sword. It's this it's the truth. It's this. It's the. It's the absolute truth of God and His love. And and whenever you speak it in love, it will cut through every lie. It'll cut through every every doubt. It will cut through every everything that would stand against you. Every opposition that will stand against you. And that and that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, I didn't come to sort of just placate people. 
I came to speak the truth of God. And that truth of God is going to cut and it's going to be sharp and it's going to draw lines. And he uses the examples of a family here where he says, listen, I have come and there will be fathers and sons who will be separated because of, of trusting and loving me. Families will be broken because of me. That's not what God wants. God doesn't want that. And it's not the, this idea of this is what I'm hoping to have happen. He's saying, listen, if you have faith in me, everything else in your life becomes second priority. A relationship with Christ must be above any other relationship. My relationship with God must be above my relationship with my wife. Must be above my relationship with my children. Must be above my relationship with my parents and my brothers. And and if I put those other things above my relationship with God, then it says I'm, I'm not worthy of Him. American culture prioritizes the family. And I don't think it's wrong to prioritize the family. I think family is so important. But we are getting dangerously close to saying family before God. How often do we miss church because of something we're doing with the family? Now, vacations and things like that are they're important to go and to recover and to be with your family. But if we're constantly putting our family before God, we need to check our heart. Because God is so much greater than that. And when we're in a relationship, in a right relationship with God, then the relationships we have with our family become in right relationship as well. It's not, if we really truly trust God, as long as our family also trusts God, then there will be a a rightness in all of those relationships. The only severing, the only breaking apart is when there's Families where some of them believe in God and they put their relationship before their family and the family members don't believe in God. And so then there's a separation. And that's that breaks God's heart. He wants there to be oneness in that. And I believe with all my heart that when we serve God and when we, when we live out His love in those moments where there's brokenness in a family, and we continue to love them, even though it seems like we're separated, that God is mending those relationships and He's drawing those people ever closer to Him, to to finding that place where we can express and show the love of Christ in, in their lives. Because we are that model. We are like Jesus. We're supposed to be living that life among them so that they see their value in God. And when we do that, we'll have the boldness to be able to speak, hopefully, the truth and the love of Christ and bring opportunities for them to come into relationship with God as well. He finishes up this section by saying, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worth me, worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He's given them a preview. Whoever takes up their cross and follows me 
will be like me. Will be, be worthy of what of that grace that they are receiving. Again, remember, they don't know about the cross yet. They don't know it's coming. And for some of these guys, they're going to have to literally bear up a cross as well as Jesus did. What does our crosses look like? What do we carry around that we should lay at his feet? Do we live a life that is so comfortable that we don't even have a cross? Or would we just put our cross up in the corner and we said, okay, it's there. And we, you know, we remember it and we think about it on Sunday morning, but we don't maybe carry it every day. There was a kid when I was first in youth ministry. He was a friend of my brother's who made a point of, he made a cross out of, I think it was two by four, if I remember right. Might have been, might have been heavier, but I think it, it was a cross he could carry. He literally carried it every day to school, I think for a week. Every class he went in, he had it. Walked to the lunchroom, he had it. When he would get out of school, he would carry it home. He would carry it to him, with him, wherever he went after school. Uh, he literally wanted to model what it meant to carry his cross like Christ did. And there were so many people who asked him why he was doing it. They wanted to know, what are you doing? Why are you carrying that? And he was able to share his faith because of it. Now, I don't know like the results of that, if, if people came to, to, into a relationship with God about that, but he, it's, this, it's a true visual or example of what it means to carry our cross. If we live a life like Jesus, then I believe that means that we are living a life where we're carrying the cross. The cross that is the, a life that talks about God's love to people, that is willing to forgive people who seem unforgivable. The willingness to love people who are beyond love in our mind. The willingness to reach out and offer grace to those who have wronged us. The desire to seek equality and, and normality in our world around us. To model what it means to reach out to those who are oppressed and to, to lift them up and to bring them into a right standing. Just as Jesus did when he went to the tax collectors, when he went to the, to the prostitutes, when he, when he went to those people that everyone else rejected and didn't even want to... Cons I mean, they would go to the other side of the street to avoid them. He went to them. He showed them their value. He showed them how God truly loved them and that, that all they had to do was ask for forgiveness and he would give it to them. And they did. And you know what? Their lives changed. The, the amazing story of Zacchaeus, this tax collector who was this crook of a man, constantly cheating people, met Jesus. Jesus had lunch with him, had a relationship where they were talking about it, and, and Jesus expressed to him his value, and, and he saw who he was through the eyes of Jesus, and he wanted to be different. And Jesus forgave him, and, and Zacchaeus' life changed forever. He promised to give back everything he stole times four. 
we don't know who the Zacchaeuses are in our lives. It seems like there's a lot of them out there right now. And there's a lot of them that need changing. But before they need changing, they need love. They need to know that they're loved by God. They need to know that they have value in the eyes of God, that God doesn't condemn them and hate them and wants to send them to hell. But he loves them and desires a relationship with them, desires to be forgive them and to, and to be, be reconciled with them like we talked about last week. And it's our job as Christians to endure the persecution, to move through it with God's help, to allow him to give us the, the wisdom, the words, the courage to speak and to proclaim Jesus' love to those people. And yes, you will be persecuted when you do it. Because not everybody will accept it. But there are those Zacchaeuses out there who will accept it, who need to hear it, who are longing to hear it. Zacchaeus didn't even know he wanted to hear it. But he knew something. He knew he wanted to see Jesus. He knew that this man was different. He knew it so much that he climbed a tree to see him. And because of that, Jesus was able to go to lunch with him. Who are you going to take to lunch? Who's your Zacchaeus? Who are you going to put fear aside? You're going to step into the, into the uncomfortableness and be bold about who you are in Christ and how your life can be an example of God's love and forgiveness and redemption to somebody out there. Be praying about it. Ask God to show you who that person might be. Be praying that all of these different people in our world around us right now who are feeling oh, so much tension, so much anxiety, so much fear, so much oppression, that they will feel the love, the peace, the value that God has in them. And that may we be a catalyst for that. May we be a vessel for God to show that to the, to the world around us, even if it's just here in Placerville. We might not change the world, but let's change Placerville for God. Don't have fear. Be bold in who you are in God. And he will give you the strength and the courage and the words and the wisdom and the opportunities to speak what God needs you to speak to people. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. Give us your strength. Give us your peace. Father, give us your boldness and your courage because so often fear wants to raise its head in our lives. We don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to move into an uncomfortable situation or an uncomfortable topic or conversation with people because what are they going to think of me? What if I don't say the right thing? What if they think I'm a hypocrite? Father, we want to live for you. We want to carry our cross for you. We want to live a life that is an example of your love. We want... We want to be part of the solution for the change of the community around us. And Lord, 
I believe the best way to do that is to begin by showing people the value that you place in them, by loving them, by praying for them, by speaking that value, by speaking truth, by being in relationship with them. Help us, Father, I pray, to be a catalyst for change so that your kingdom can spread in Placerville, that your kingdom can become more evident, Father. We don't want to be comfortable. We thank you that no matter what we go through, no matter what suffering is brought into our lives, no matter what persecution is brought upon us, Father, that you will give us through it, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that we will not be left to wallow in it, but instead you will bring us through and you will not only bring us through, but you will allow that to change us to become more like you. We trust you. We love you. You are our everything. Lord, continue to shape us. Lord, continue to transform us. Continue to sanctify us and make us more like you. Lord, and in those places where we resist, help us to let go. Help us to want your changes in our lives. Help us to see the places that we might need to let go. We love you. We trust you. We want to stand on our faith in you. Father, we give you our community. May it be a living example of who you are. Full of love and value and equality and justice and peace. And, we, and may we be part of that because all we want is your will. And we believe that is what your will is. We thank you so much, Father. In your holy name we pray. Amen. We thank you so much for being with us this week, and we'll see you next week. Have a great week.